people have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. Your longest college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to set your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girl. And that about sums it up. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is Caleb Haig, and with me, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? Hey, we, I, we're the only place that's going to have, what, Ferris Bueller, Seinfeld, like all these clips. In our, <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I just, it's funny. I like listening to our, <laughs> our intro. I do what I can, man. I do what I can. Yeah. Well, what uh, up in Shalom? It's good, to ev- it's yeah, good to laugh. Good it to is laugh. good to laugh. What up in Shalom to everybody out there? We uh, we got a couple of people in the chat room right now, and we uh, we're happy you're there with us. And uh, yeah, did you have a good Purim, man, or what? Yeah. What you yeah, guys? We, we didn't. You guys do? We didn't have a uh, we didn't have a play or anything, but we had a table set up and read through it. Yeah. Um. And we stopped after every chapter and had a discussion. It was really good. Nice, really great. Yeah, we had a uh, we had a uh, a carnival, which we do every year for the kids, uh, where the kids can go around and play little games, and then they you know they uh, I don't know they they play these games that you know they throw bean bags at Haman's face or whatever and try to get it through his mouth and uh, <laughs> stuff like that, and, and then they get these uh, you know little prizes for you know whatever. Um, and so my son really enjoyed that. And then of course, after that, uh, well, before that, actually we had to play, the play is like a full on production, it's, you know, a good, it's a good hour long. And of course, Hamantaschen, who doesn't love to eat Hamantaschen is great. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a good time anyway. Um, yeah, you know, it's not really my holiday. I mean, I like it. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's good. I, I have no problem celebrating Purim. It's just, uh, you know, I, um, I love Passover so much that like, you know, even, even Hanukkah was kind of a little overshadowed by my, uh, by my, uh, you know, my, my love for Passover. So anyway, um, yeah. All right. Well, uh, we hope that everybody's, uh, out there is enjoying the uh, new platform of Facebook. It's a little difficult to get used to, but we're trying it. And, of course, everyone out there in Radio Land, too. Uh, last week, I, I was listening to it again, trying to close my eyes and think about if I was listening in the radio on the radio without video. And I realized, yeah, that maybe maybe we're leaving some people behind with uh, with video. So we got to continue to remember to, uh, to uh, you know, explain <laughs> what's going on for people in the Radio Land. Okay, well, uh, the Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by Tor Resource, torresource.com. Go to Torah Resource, find all sorts of great stuff, resources, obviously, for your Bible study, um, for 
gaining knowledge and history and all sorts of stuff. Don't forget to take classes at uh, Toro Resource Institute either. And right now, uh, registration's open for the spring quarter, which is going to be great. We're going to have a great time doing that. And, uh, of course, it's also brought to you by YeshuaShirts.com. Yeshua Shirts, the only company smart enough to send us free product so that we'll plug their show. And you can go to Yeshua Shirts and find all sorts of great products that will help start conversations. Put in the code TRRADIO at uh, checkout and save, what, is it 10%, 15%? Save some money. That's that's what I can tell you. <laughs> and, of course, uh, you can you can tell us how much you love us, hate us, uh, are disgusted by us are overjoyed that we have a podcast and that we say stuff, do that by reaching our comment line, 253-465-3205. That's 253-465-3205. Que- yes. Caleb, question on that one. Yeah. I I know that we've received email and through Facebook, we've received the negative stuff. Have But I don't recall a negative voicemail. Do you? We have not had a negative voicemail yet. So I just want to send a note out to those who <laughs> have been incensed. Jump yet, on it. But still listen. <laughs> and, you know, you've, you're, you're, whether you're interacting with us on a Facebook thread or in the messaging through Facebook or through email, we do have one other option available to you to, to uh, record your, your beef. Uh, yeah. So give us a call. Yeah. And, and don't worry. Caleb is not going to answer the phone. No. It'll go right to a voicemail. Yep. You don't have to talk right to us. Through. Speaking of beef. It's what's for dinner. Check this out. This one. Uh, so th- this uh, young lady sent us a message through uh, through Facebook, and uh, I won't mention her name because uh, I don't. You know, I didn't tell her I was going to share this or not. But uh, I thought it was a, a good email, and she was. Uh, I think she was a little upset. She says, "I I wish you would have called because I I wanted to hear the inflection." But anyway, she says, I can't believe you called Matthew Nolan a neo-Nazi sympathizer on your YouTube show. Actually, I'm not positive. I'd have to go back and listen to it again. Maybe she's right, but I think we didn't call him a neo-Nazi sympathizer. I think we called him a Nazi sympathizer. Anyway, not the point. Maybe I'm wrong. Splitting hairs there. Splitting hairs there. Exactly. Did you ever try to contact him? How diabolical and wrong. We've sat under his ministry for six years. There are Jews in our fellowship, and Matthew's love for Yahusha, Hamashiach, is so forefront and evident. I will never listen to you again until you apologize on your YouTube. I wonder what how she how's she going to know whether we apologize or not. I don't know if she's not watching. I don't know. I wonder. Okay. I wonder what Abba feels about your tongues. Shame on you both. Okay, I want to go through this. Uh, just a, a little bit. First of all, she says, uh, did you ever try to contact him? No, uh, we didn't. He put out a public, uh, a public, uh, teaching on, uh, uh, on his, on his YouTube page and, and everywhere else. So we responded to it. Uh, that's number one. Um, number two, uh, he, she says, uh, there are Jews in our fellowship. Well, that means nothing. I mean, if you look at, uh, uh Schultz, you know, who owns Starbucks, uh, I've met Schultz several times. He's a self-loathing Jew, in my opinion. He's a Jewish guy who uh, doesn't support the land of Israel. He uh, he seems to be down on morality in general. He uh, you know he he has no sense of of uh, the God of Israel. Um, he's you know he, 
he seems like a self-loathing Jew to me. Just because you have Jews in your congregation doesn't mean that uh, that Nolan isn't a Nazi sympathizer. Um, and uh, then she also says uh, Matthew's love for Yahusha, for those who might not know, and let's uh, just you know try to uh, include everybody here, uh, for those who don't know, uh, there's a, a growing number of people within the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement who so, do a bunch of gymnastics to get to a different pronunciation of pronunciation of Yeshua, and they call him Yehusha. Uh, anyway, so uh, she says Matthew's love for Yehusha Hamashiach is forefront and evident. I don't doubt that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Martin Luther had a fervent love. For Jesus Christ, right? I mean, if you read his stuff, you can tell he he really wanted to do the right thing. In uh, the end of his life, he wrote against the Jews, which was later used uh, to uh, to basically brainwash essentially the uh, the the Nazis. Um, it was a horrible, horrible mark on on Luther's uh, on who Luther was, right? Just because you love uh, Yeshua, love Jesus Christ, love Yahusha, whatever you want to say there, that does not mean that you don't have flaws, and even that you're not, a, you know, even that you're not a Nazi sympathizer. Um, and lastly, before we move to uh, specifics here, <laughs> specifics, um, I would just like to say, you know, our goal is not to uh, gather listeners to this show. If we have 36 people listening, that's great. If if we have 36,000 people listening, that's great. 36 is actually more than we originally thought. Aimed yeah, for. exactly. <laughs> and so if you're not going to listen to our, our show anymore, that's up to you. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't really care. We will not change our message and change what we believe is truth just because we're going to lose uh, some people listening. That's not how it works. If you're offended, I'm sorry. You're offended. You know, we, we, we support your right to be offended. Yeah, exactly. Be offended. That's fine. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to sugarcoat stuff just because, uh, you know, people people think that we're wrong or whatever. Uh, now, I, I the one thing I do want to say about this. Well, actually, let's just have Matthew Nolan say it. Um, so obviously, I think uh, everyone who has who didn't show here show 146. Uh, has probably figured out by now that we uh, called a teacher named Matthew Nolan a Nazi sympathizer or perhaps a neo-Nazi sympathizer. Um, listen to this clip. How did Judea declare war on Germany? Through economic bankers. Just as they are today. The German people, like I said, they were demoralized. They had to sell everything. And you wonder why when Hitler came to power... He repossessed all of these properties and he repossessed all of this art. You see today in the 21st century all these films about, oh, the Nazis and all of their art. Well, why was Hitler collecting up the art from the Jews? Because they stole it from the Germans when Berlin was in bankruptcy. You see, that's the, the true story. Okay, I don't like... I, I understand that um, this young lady probably thinks that this is an ad hominem argument. That is an argument where we were uh, trying to attack Matthew Nolan instead of trying to attack his theology. 
However, I don't see how this is ad hominem. And the reason I say that is because it's, to, to me, he's sympathizing with, with the Nazis. What else would you call someone who's sympathizing with the Nazis? By the way, the Oxford Dictionary uh, uh, says that a sympathizer is a person who agrees with or supports a sentiment, opinion, or ideology. Well, it sure seems like he's sympathizing. He's, he's saying Hitler raised up people to reclaim what was rightfully theirs. Yeah. Oh, Which, and it, if you believe that story, then you're you're on the side of the Nazis saying, yeah, yeah, these guys are in the right. Yeah. That's called a Nazi sympathizer. I'm not yeah, trying. And he's I'm, not saying anything about the Nazi uh, propaganda of race where, there, where uh, Jews were considered a – inferior race right i mean it's it, well, but, uh, and but, it wasn't just the jews it was uh, all it, anything inferior to the superior aryan race that he was uh okay trying I, to I, uphold I, and strengthen I, I don't want to go back through this whole show again but obviously his uh it, the the teaching uh, is called synagogue of satan he's saying that uh, that the snake and and Eve uh, procreated and and had uh, and had this race of people and and this is uh, this is the Ashkenazi Jews. Yeah, and he, he, exactly. And he tra he takes because we see the word Ashkenazi in uh, Genesis ten or wherever that that's therefore that's identity uh, of the Ash the groups called the Ashkenazim in medieval Europe. Yeah, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be. You know, I'm not. This is not an ad hominem argument. Obviously, um, if you are sympathizing with the Nazis, I don't know a better word, a better phrase to call you, a better name, uh, a better label to give you than Nazi sympathizer, because that's what he's doing. I, I mean, so interesting. The lady in the the note, the message to us, did not. I wonder if she even listened and listened enough. She didn't try to say that we misunderstood. No. In terms of – she didn't try to address the, the clips that we were responding to. She just try, tried to change the subject to other things. Exactly. Yeah. Have you ever had that, have you ever had that happen? You, you, you bring something to somebody or you respond uh, very pointedly to someone, but because, they can't, because you, you caught them there and they can't, they can't substantiate it, they try another angle. And then they just keep trying to to change the the perspective. Yeah, it's a it's a, a strategy that some people use. But um, yeah, we, anyway, that's why we use clips. We're using the people's own words. Oh right? yeah, and, I, and and I mean, just to to sum up, you know, I'm not going to apologize for calling Matthew Nolan a, a Nazi sympathizer. I think that the clip of him saying that speaks for him, speaks for itself. That's exactly what he's doing. He's sympathizing with the Nazis here. That's the definition of a Nazi sympathizer. You know, if if Matthew Nolan wants to uh, wants to uh, retract what he said, that's fine. But the the fact still remains, he has audio clips out there and a full teaching uh, that is based on Nazi sympathizing, uh, right? Anyway, um, okay, let's move on. Um. So I got another message. This was kind of a – it was through Twitter uh, Messenger and so people didn't see it, which is fine. And uh, the person brought up uh, – I couldn't grab just like a quote and, and, and read it. So I'll give you the general gist of what he was saying. 
which is that uh, basically we I said something about Buddha in uh, on one of our shows. And he said, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't say the person's, you know, a false God's name because of Exodus, you know, in Exodus where it says that you shouldn't mention right, right. false gods. And so let's read that passage real quick. Uh, that, that's just a general overview of kind of what he what he yeah. said. Uh, he says, uh, pay attention. Uh, uh, this is Exodus twenty three thirteen. It says, pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Uh, and then, uh, now I also, I pulled up a couple of, uh, other passages here. I wonder if we should, should we actually show these? Um, give us just a second here, folks. Let's do, uh, this. Let me switch here to accordance and, um, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, what we'll do is we'll bring up, Exodus twenty three thirteen, Exodus twenty three thirteen, and uh, let's see what we get here. Okay, let's bring these up. All right, sorry, we're doing this all on the fly here. That's all right. So it looks like uh, so Exodus twenty three thirteen here is uh, at the top, and then Joshua twenty three eight. These, this is the reason that I cross reference this. First of all, the first thing I'd have to say is that uh, in Genesis in Exodus twenty three thirteen, the idea of not having uh, God's name on your lips. What does this actually mean? If we're not actually allowed to utter a name of a false god, then uh, <laughs> then we then we can't read the Bible out loud, right? There's false gods throughout the Bible. So you wouldn't right. be able to read that out loud. Uh, Joshua 23, 8 says, But you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done to... Oh, I, uh, let's see here. What did I do wrong? Did I get the wrong? 23, 8. Okay, let's read the next one. Uh, the Lord our God, other... Uh, oh, Lord our God, other masters besides you have ruled us, but through you alone we confess your name. And I think this is probably a better a better idea of what's actually going on. Um, in in Exodus, right? The right. I, the idea that we can't ever say the name of a of another god. I, I'm sorry, I just don't I don't agree. My father says this. I pulled this from his commentary or his uh, notes on Exodus. His note on Exodus twenty three thirteen says, which prohibits. Uh, he says Exodus twenty three thirteen, which prohibits evoking the names of pagan gods, may seem intrusive, and this is because of where it is in the actual text. If you look kind of seems out of place, like it's not really, it seems like that. Uh, my father goes on, but actually, it fits perfectly into the flow of this passage. The pagan world of the ancient Near East knew many festivals, most of which centered around an invocation of the gods to renew the soil and to invigorate the flocks right. in order to be fertile. Now, as soon as this like calling verse... calling upon them, yeah. yeah calling as, upon them. As soon as this verse is done, we go straight into all the, the high holy days in mm -hmm. Exodus 23, right? Um, okay. Uh, these were accompanied by magical rites aimed at pro, uh, propitiating divine powers and enlisting their aid in bringing produce and offspring in the coming year. Thus, we should understand the prohibition of not mentioning the name of pagan gods or letting them be heard from your mouth to be connected with such pagan rituals, which apparently were attractive to Israel throughout her history. This is further emphasized in the next verse, 2314, by the command to celebrate the Feast of Israel to me. 
That is to God exclusively. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, well, this came up the other day on a completely different uh, trajectory. Um, Reading through 2 Samuel 11 and 12 uh, with a friend of mine in, in Hebrew, and if you remember Second Samuel eleven, this is David and Bathsheba, right? Mm, yep. And and in this, if you remember the story, um, this is where Uriah is is like upright in every way, and David's like trying to get get him drunk, get him down with his wife. That doesn't work. Okay, I'm going to send him to his death. Well, if you remember, just to kind of, it's a lot to it here, but uh, basically, David writes a letter to Joab, who's leading the army on the battle, saying, hey, take Uriah, put him up, you know, where you're going to get killed, and then everybody else basically run away, and then Uriah will be dead. And then he gives that note to Uriah to take to Joab himself. So Uriah's carrying his own cross, basically. He's carrying his own death sentence, um, which is a great theme in the Bible. But uh, aside from that, after the battle... Joab sends a messenger back to King David, and he says, you know, David's going to, he preps, he preps the messenger, says, David's going to wonder, you know, how come you did this? What is this? And he says, remember the story of Jerubal, uh, of, of Jeroboshet, Jeroboshet, of how he went under the, the wall and the lady threw the millstone and it killed him, or it almost killed him. Okay. Well, Abim, well, the story of Abimelech, son of Jeroboshet, that's what Joab calls calls him. But if you go back, so that's in 2 Samuel 11, but if you go back to the book of Judges, where the story's told, um, it's Jerubaal. Jerubaal is a name for Gideon, Jerubaal. And his son is Abimelech. So it's Abimelech in Judges 9.1, for example, it says his name's Abimelech, son of Jerubaal. But in Joab's letter to David, he calls him Abimelech, son of Jeroboshet. And the question is, like, well, why did he change? Why did he change the guy's his name? name? Yeah. Well, and I think it's because it's it's it, it, it boshet is a, one of the words for shame, and there's the he probably David maybe didn't or uh, Joab didn't want to write the name Baal or something, so he changed it to boshet. Um, I don't know. That's a speculation, but he does change the name, and of course, the the story is one of shame because Abimelech. This Abimelech guy, he had killed his brothers, and God, you know, it was God's justice that killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, which, long story short, is a code that Joab is sending to David, saying, "David, look, you, you you're, you're not going to escape the justice of God any more way, any more than Abimelech, uh, son of Jeroboshet uh, uh, or Yerubal did." So, the reason I want to mention this is because there, this could be interpreted. <laughs> As a time in just in Tanakh itself, where a person who knew the name Baal but didn't want, they wanted to change it, they wanted to write something different, and uh, but even then, even if we grant that that's what's happening, we're still not sure if it was on an ideological idea that that Joab was saying, well, no, I, I can't write Baal, or if he was actually um, kind of satirizing the story from Judges to make the point to David. Yeah. So, I pulled a couple of quotes from rabbis, too, uh, about this specific passage. Ibn Ezra says, Make no mention of the names of other gods. Do not swear by them. They should not be heard by your lips. Do not tell an idolater, Swear to me by your God. 
as Joshua 23, 7 says, do not utter the, utter the names of their gods or cause others to swear by them. So Nachmanides, Nachmanides takes a little bit different uh, uh, twist on this. This is, I found this really interesting because, well, I, it speaks for himself. They should not be heard on your lips. Even if you do not call them gods, you must not mention Milcom or Ashima at all. So he writes it out. <laughs> so how's somebody supposed to read this out loud? You know, like you're not supposed to mention them at all. Here, I'm going to write them down for you so that you can say them. Um, instead, he goes on. Instead, you must call them by some insulting names, such as the abomination of Moab, First Kings 11.7, or the detestable things of the Ammonites, Second Kings 23.13. Or it might mean, so now he has a different interpretation, a possible different interpretation. He says, or it might mean you may not say anything that causes one of their worshipers to pronounce their names. As our sages have said, one may not go into partnership with an idolater and have him swear by his idol. But make no mention might be used transitively to mean that one may not mention them to their worshipers to say, for example, by your God, do me a favor. So I think the point here is is uh, somewhat clear, though, that it, it's not that we're not allowed to ever speak the name of a, a false god, because if that were the case, we wouldn't be able to read the Torah. Rather, it means, you know, it shouldn't be on your lips. In other words, you shouldn't swear by them. You shouldn't give them any reverence. I think that I think that's the interpretation I take. Um, OK, let's move on. So. In the past couple of episodes, we have looked at a couple of different, just very short overviews of the uh, the Passion chronology or the Last Supper chronology, whatever you want to say. Um, I got to say, you know, I've, I've been studying this a lot, as many people know, um, and I have to say, this is one of the most hotly debated topics uh, on the internet right now. People are intense about how they about how they they talk about these things, um, and I mean, people they are they're not listening to anybody else. They're not listening to you know if, if they have it in their mind, this is how it is. That's it. There's no there's no debate on it, uh, which is interesting. Um, but so this uh, this week, I just want to give a very very short overview of the Essene hypothesis. Um, so as our listeners already know, there seems to be, seems to be, as it seems is the, uh, the the major word there, there seems to be a discrepancy between John and the, and the three synoptic gospels. Uh, whereas the synoptic gospels say that it's the first day of unleavened bread, the day that the Passover lambs or the Pascha was sacrificed, which everyone I think would agree if that was the case, it'd be Nisan 14. Um, this was the day that they had their last supper. And this is what all three of the Synoptic Gospels say. John seems to say uh, otherwise. He seems to place Yeshua's death uh, on on the afternoon of Nisan 14 itself. So how could these both be? Well, I think that they match up perfectly well together. However, some scholars have come up with uh, some interesting ways to try to reconcile this. One of those ways is the Essene hypothesis. Uh, this was uh, brought up, I forget the, the lady's name, uh, a, a scholar uh, who wrote this in her book. I'll have to look for that reference and I apologize for not having it in front of me right now. Um, but she came, she was the first one to come up with this hypothesis. The hypothesis is that, uh, that 
uh, Yeshua was holding to an Essene calendar. That is a solar calendar. The Essenes or the uh, yeah the, or the Qumran community uh, they held to or that John was telling it in you mean John was telling it or that Yeshua was no so so the, I, so, so the synoptics so they say that the synoptics are t- are telling it from the Essene calendar and John is telling it from the temple calendar that is the lunar calendar seen by the uh, and held to by the the temple itself. So in John, when it says uh, in in 18, I believe it is, where uh, 1828 or 29, where it says uh, that the priests didn't want to enter the praetorium because they wanted to be able to eat. They didn't want to become defiled because they wanted to eat the Pascha. Okay, so uh, the argument is that since since John is telling this from the lunar calendar perspective or the temple calendar perspective, that uh, that that's why the, the, the priests didn't want to go in because they were on this lunar calendar. Whereas since, uh, according to this theory, since Yeshua and his disciples were on a solar, solar calendar held by the, uh, by the Essenes that they would have come in and they would have eaten the Pascha perhaps a day before this. And this is how you have the varying accounts. It's an innovative, uh, uh, way to try to, to reconcile the gospels together. I don't think it works out very well. And uh, I think there's actually Dr. Petrie uh, t- talks in, at length about uh, why this is this this doesn't really work out very well. He's not the only one either. There are other uh, scholars who have uh, shown why this is uh, not exactly a uh, a plausible um, a plausible hypothesis. Yeah, that's about it. I, I I could give you the main reason I don't think it's a plausible. Do you want to hear that or, or have I done yeah. enough? Oh, let's hear it. Because they they mm. it seems as though they they go to prepare the Pascha, which mm. would mean the lamb. And there's no way that uh, you know it's uh, the, the temple wasn't a, uh, a a personal slaughterhouse for the uh, it, you know it wasn't a, a personal butcher for the for the uh, people of Israel. You can't just go in. Yeah, br- bring an animal, slaughter it here, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. You can't just go in, give your animal to the priest, have them slit the throat, and throw the blood on the altar, then be like, "Oh, can I have it back now? I'm going to go take it home, roast it on my own fire, and eat it." I mean, there's no evidence whatsoever that the that the uh, the temple was catering to different calendars. Uh, and one of the ways that we know this is because the Essenes left. Right? They said it was defiled, but they you know uh, they weren't the only ones. But uh, it seems as though the the temple service was strictly regulated. That's right. why. And I, Yeshua, Yeshua, and the disciples had their railing against the temple was not of a matter that they were going to leave it and and go form their own community somewhere, right? I mean, they were still there. Yeshua was there teaching, and he called, this is, you know, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. You know, he's still committed to Jerusalem and to the Temple Mount, you know, I mean. Well, and that's the other thing is that if he was really in a scene, why would he be celebrating in Jerusalem? Why wouldn't he be up in Qumran with the rest of his sect. Right. And why didn't they follow him around and declare him the Prince of Righteousness? And not only that, there. why did they, why do we not have a record of Yeshua debating about the calendar? Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. You know, um, exactly. We, don't, we don't have that. We don't have, and his, he's engaging with the Pharisees. And Pharisees, we know that there were Pharisees and priests that became believers. But the Sadducees never became believers. We don't have any record in the scriptures of Sadducees becoming believers. And the Sadducees 
had a different way of of looking at uh, a lot of things, including how to count the Omer, which probably shared with the, the Essenes. Yeah, so, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, it's a nice try. Nice try. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a swing and a miss, though. A, a, valid, a valid effort, no doubt. <laughs> okay, let's move on. So uh, I had never heard of, of uh, these gentlemen before, and uh, perhaps some of our listeners have, and, and that's great. These are, I, I believe these two gentlemen are Christians. I would consider them perhaps evangelical Christians would be a, a good title for them. They might not like that. I don't know. I've never met them. I've never even talked to them. Um, who am I talking about? I'm talking about a podcast that was sent to me uh, this last week. Uh, the title of the podcast is called Torah Truth? Question mark. A biblical discussion on the Hebraic roots of Christianity with BDK and Justin Fall. Now, I have heard the name BDK before. I don't know what it stands for. I sent him a message asking him if it was his initials or whatnot. I'm sure it probably is, I, I, or, or it stands for something. I don't know. Um, so BDK is the host of a podcast, a lowly podcaster just like us. His podcast is called The Omega Frequency. He was invited onto another podcast. The other podcast is uh, hosted by Justin Fall, and uh, it's called The Fourth Watch. I've heard of this podcast as well. Um, I don't know how widespread these podcasts are throughout Christianity, um, however, I've heard of them, and so I, I would assume that they've uh, they've gained themselves quite a good following. They seem extremely sincere. They seem not only sincere, but they seem like they uh, truly have a heart to bring people to uh, to faith in, in Yeshua the Messiah. And for that, I uh, commend them certainly. I'm not aware of their uh, personal uh, theology, and uh, but for for our purposes here, it, it doesn't really uh, matter at this point. I, I think it's good for uh, you, Rob, and myself to go back and, uh, you know, we're I, th I think, I don't know, I think we're gaining new, uh, new listeners. And so I want to be uh, somewhat uh, attentive to uh, the new listeners that we are getting because uh, I, I don't want to talk over people's heads and I don't want to assume that everybody knows what we're talking about or that everybody understands our theology. And so... Um, as people who have listened to this show for a while know, Rob and I both hold to what's called one Torah theology. I don't know if we'd necessarily consider ourselves part of the Hebrew Roots Movement, and the reason we wouldn't is because predominantly the Hebrew Roots Movement is uh, is a two-house movement. And if you don't know what the two-house uh, theory is, I'm not going to take the time to explain it right now. We've explained it in other, uh, episode, uh, other episodes and, and clips. Uh, you can also find stuff on our website, TorahResource.com. Um, but we don't hold the two house theology as the, uh, the majority of the Hebrew roots movement does. Um, so with that said, uh, I, I think that we would probably be close to what some of the people in the Hebrew roots movement believe in terms of the Torah and its place in the life of a believer. And, uh, just quickly, what that means is that we don't, uh, I'll talk for myself and I, I believe I speak for Rob here, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Rob and I both would say that uh, the Torah does not save you. No work that you can do saves you. Uh, the elect are chosen from the foundation of the world, and uh, you are saved by faith and faith alone, not by any work. Once saved, we are then just, or we are then sanctified. Sorry, once justified, we are then sanctified. Sanctification, being set apart by God, is done through the Torah, and this is probably the biggest split from the Christian Church or the evangelical church that we would have is that we believe that sanctification 
comes through obedience to God's commands, his laws. Exactly. And and on that level, just to pinpoint a footnote on that, if we just said obedient uh, uh, sanctification is a function of our obedience to God, I think most of our reform brothers and sisters and even beyond that might might agree. Sure. Right? Uh, if we but once you start saying well and by commandments we mean what is revealed in God's word as as his will and that's where you start uh getting into the weeds of differentiating wait a minute are you are you trying to put me under law are you trying to and that's where we get the the creep in of these notions of oh you're trying to earn your salvation you're trying to please God because you think that you need to do something to earn his approval etc and we're, we'll be quick to say no that that would be a mischaracterization of our position correct i 100% um so the, uh, i kind of took these clips out of order uh, the first clip i'm going to p- play for you is a little bit later in the podcast when uh now bdk and justin fall Apparently, uh, in the years that they've been doing their individual podcasts and, and doing ministry and, and these kind of things, have never actually addressed the Hebrew roots or the Messianic movements. And um, and so this first clip is BDK explaining why he is now breaking his silence when it comes to the Hebrew roots movement. I thought that this uh, it's not necessarily uh, you know a, a great clip. It's just kind of sets up where they're coming from, I think. And I guess why I'm breaking my silence right now is because things are getting out of hand. They're just getting completely and utterly ridiculous and out of hand. I I, I have one of the final straws was someone that I really appreciate their ministry, really appreciate their ministry, wrote to me and, and told me point blank, quote, Sunday worship. God doesn't hear it. It's another God they praise. These pagan holidays are an abomination. I'm disturbed, and I'm telling you this from the depth of my heart. Most who think they are saved don't even know him. They have no idea what is about to happen on this earth. When I hear something like that from someone whose ministry I respect, I know that they're telling other people this kind of stuff. I personally have a hard time believing that God doesn't hear the worship of people who choose to worship on Sunday. So this is uh, an interesting point and a good point that, you know, if if he's actually having people tell him that uh, – and I've heard this same kind of uh, – these same kind of arguments from people who are all in for a tour and whatnot, which is – I'm happy that people are all in for Torah, uh, but – if this is really what people are, are teaching, uh, this is problematic, obviously. Um, I understand the, the zeal and the, and the fervency for uh, wanting to be sanctified unto God and wanting to show others um, the truth. But everyone's on their own journey, right? So, uh, and we've talked about this a lot. If someone's saying that uh, God doesn't hear the, the prayers or, the, or doesn't... Uh, respond to the worship or or isn't present for the worship of of his followers that are in the Christian church there is a significant problem with this whether or not i i don't believe the hebrew roots and the messianic movements as a whole are teaching that though in fact i would think just the opposite i would think that groups like uh you know the UMJC or the MJAA certainly believe that Gentiles in the church 
are having their prayers heard by God. Right? Rob? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, if we're supposed to worship God all the time, I mean, it, to, I think that whoever wrote this email that we just heard, read, yeah, they, they don't have a grasp really on what, what they're doing. Um, they're too much, I think they're influ- They're reading the wrong kind of books or listening to the wrong kinds of, of teachings. And their theology has been skewed because they've taken their eye off the Word of God and have started trying to swim in the stream of, of exciting ideas or sensationalist ideas or emotional, judgmental ideas. Um, so I think that the person we're listening to in that clip is right to to be frustrated and concerned. Oh, yeah. Now, b- b- that being said, Caleb, you and I are going to agree, well, Sunday is not the Shabbat. And Shabbat, has, Sabbath has a very specific meaning in Scripture, and it's part from the from the creation on. It has a very specific meaning. And if we're part of the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob— if we are, if if the spirit of the Messiah is in us, and we are we who were once far off are now made near, brought near, and made fellow heirs with Israel, then we are not above our master. We can't just change the Sabbath to identify now some other day of the week or whatever. So we will we will stand strong. And and my suspicion is the the person we're listening to now, um, probably my, you know wouldn't agree with us on this on this point. They, it sounds now I have never heard this, so I'm new to what you're playing here, but it sounds to me like they're going to say, you know, they all dropped either the Lutheran thing that, you know, it's all done away and we just keep Sunday because of tradition or another, uh, you know, an alternative, uh, stream in reform is that, uh, that of the Catholic church that the Sabbath is now the, the Sunday, you know, um, it sounds like he might be coming from one of those positions. I would agree with that. And, I understand what you're saying. However, I just want to reemphasize, even for our brothers and sisters who either believe that the Sabbath has been done away with or believe that it's been changed to Sunday, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. The Lord hears the prayers of, of his children. Of his people. Yeah, of his, of people. his people. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, the idea that— And uh, he corrects children. <laughs> uh, he, you know, he corrects his own as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I, I, I feel that— I feel the frustration from BDK here, and I agree. Um, let's go on. But I have have always tried to err on the side of grace on these issues because, like I said, I'm not the Holy Ghost, man. If the Holy Ghost is telling you not to eat pork, then cool. If you feel that the Holy Ghost is telling you to keep the Torah – then I won't presume to be the Holy Ghost in your prayer closet giving you those directions. I can't either affirm or deny what the Holy Ghost is telling you. Okay, hang on just a sec now. Now, this is, this is where we start to get into uh, some, some major disagreement. And obviously this is going to be uh, – I, I feel like uh, BDK and, and Justin Fall here are, are going to represent what the mainstream Christian church is going to say. And right, that's, which is we, we, are, we, are, we come from a discipleship tradition, he says, that – all these things have no meaning for us because we we obey out of a new heart, and it has nothing to do with the Torah of Moses. Right? Well, and uh, yeah, not only that, but you know, if if the Holy Spirit tells you to do these things, that's great. 
my response to that is the Holy Spirit is not the only one who's told this. It's written in the Word of God. These are things that the Word of God has told that clearly tells us this is what you know. It's not that the Holy Spirit has told me in my prayer closet you shouldn't be eating pork. It's that I open up the Bible and see these are the things you can eat. These are the things you can't eat. So this, to me, this does not have to do with a moving of the spirit in no, each. Well, indiv- but I, but on a mirror side, I would I would be suspicious that they're going to say, well, the Holy Spirit has not convicted me on these things, and the Holy Spirit tells me I can eat whatever I want. But once again, and this is a great point, but at at the same time, we cannot go off of feeling. We cannot. The Mormons say that they're right because the burning in the bosom happened to them. It has to line up with the scripture, and this is the point. If you don't, if you don't have, uh, if you don't have affirmation of what's going on in the Word of God, something's wrong. Your feelings mean something. That your feelings are important. Feelings matter. Okay, but if they don't line up to scripture, or if they're contrary to scripture, then guess what? Throw your feelings out the window because what matters is the Word of God, and that's the point. BDK might think that the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted him to keep something. Well, the Holy Spirit might not convict me to uh, stay faithful to my wife. But guess what? I know it's the right thing to do, and I'm going to do it. And it's and it and its validity as a commandment endures. Exactly, right? yeah. and that's the point. You know, just because uh, my son says I haven't been convicted not to lie to you about whether or not I ate the extra cookie doesn't mean that he's uh, now exempt from lie- lying. It doesn't work like that. The commandments are commandments. Whether or not the Holy Spirit convicts you to do them or not, uh, the commandments are commandments. This is the point. Well, and then what it does is, is like, you know, I can't be the Holy Spirit for you, man. I get that. In other words, I'm not going to try to coerce another person. Why? Paul does. No, well, what he means by like to force, to compel, but... But you're right. It's it. What he does, he takes the debate. He he says we're just not going to debate those issues. So now we take the scripture out. We're not going to talk about scripture now, and we're gonna we're gonna have something else that we talk about. I guess besides scripture at those points. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep going because he now one of the one of the reasons that I uh, started pulling these clips is because I feel like some of the misconceptions of what Torah observance Torah observance in modern day for believers in Yeshua looks like, I feel like these gentlemen have, have misinterpreted it or perhaps that, or they've just, or they just are responding to the, what they've seen. Um, Okay. Okay. That might be true. It's legitimate. (laughs) I saw this. There's, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. I don't blame, I don't deny that. There's a, there's a, this is a side note, but I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. There's a new documentary on Netflix about a black gentleman who uh, has befriended numerous people within the KKK. And he has all these pictures of himself uh, with, you know, Ku Klux Klan members, Grand Dragons, all these kind of things. Through this, uh, he claims that uh, about 100, 144 people have come out of the Klan because of, of being his friend. And he collects uh, Klan member uh, uh, suits. Once they once they leave, he asks them for their for the robes. So he's just got this huge collection of of robes. One of the things that he says in that documentary is that he feels that if you're just if you're just yelling 
at people who agree with you, nothing's ever going to change. So what he wants to do is he wants to sit down with the people he disagrees with. And after a while, once he asks some questions, they ask questions and all of a sudden a dialogue starts. And when you're really willing to listen to a person, even if you don't agree with them, when you're really willing to listen to what they're saying and why they're saying it, then things can start to change. I feel like the same thing goes on with the Christian church and with the Hebrew roots or Messianic movement, which is that people who want to keep Torah and people who are, are saying that we should be keeping Torah, they're saying something. And the Christian people in the Christian church just aren't listening. They assume they know. They assume they have all the verses figured out. They assume all these things. They haven't really heard what we're saying. And I feel like these gentlemen have done the same thing. They haven't taken time to really sit down and listen to what is being said. They assume they know what's being said. They don't really know what's being said. Let's keep going with this. If you want to keep all the Torah commandments because you feel that's what the Holy Ghost is telling you to do, and you're not just cherry-picking the ones that people keep making the focal points, like if you're one of these people who are actually planning to visit Jerusalem every year during the three times a year that you must appear in the Holy Land, according to Deuteronomy 16, then cool. Okay, let's stop real quick. Uh, You're supposed to present yourself before the Lord, right? But where are you supposed to do that? This is one reason that we know that he hasn't heard the arguments. That uh, This is one reason I feel like he hasn't heard the argument. Because now he's just going to cherry-pick his verses himself. You know, he's saying that people are cherry-picking their, their commandments. But he's, he's cherry-picking what he's deciding to put forward. How in the world are we supposed to go present ourselves before the Lord in the temple when the temple's not standing? Instead, there's a mosque there. This command obviously cannot be fulfilled and cannot yeah. be kept. And BDK has not taken the time to even hear the argument. Right. right. Well, and we have, we have precedent from that uh, just for those who have encountered people making this kind of argument. You know, you look in Luke chapter 1. So we have Zechariah the priest. Now, there was no Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies yes. in the second temple. But yet he still did his obligation as a Kohen. He still went up to the altar of incense. Even though there was no Ark of the Covenant in there. Hmm. So, and not only that, he knew it was, this was Herod's temple. This was not the, the earlier Zerubbabel's temple, right? This wasn't Solomon's temple. This wasn't the Mishkan. Things had changed, uh, uh, Israel had gone through several discipline cycles with the Lord, but because he was who he was, he was still he didn't he didn't adopt the Qumran approach of priesthood. Oh, I, I'm a legitimate priest, but pff, forget them. I'm going to stay. No, he went up, and it says in Luke one that he observed all the commandments of the Lord. Well, how did he observe all the commandments of the Lord? Well, he did. He did what his role was, even if the whole picture of what the Torah has is not actually present or operating at that time. So okay, I see that uh, as a scenario for us. Okay, so let me let me ask you this then. Are you suggesting then that we should go every year, three times a year to Jerusalem? No, no, there was no, because if there was no temple, uh, Zechariah wouldn't have been able to do wouldn't be offering burn incense uh, at the the altar of burn incense, yeah, altar yeah. of incense, because 
there would be no priestly rotation in place, right? All these things. So the point is, is between now and 2,000 years later, there's just more things. The priesthood is, is inoperable, yeah. right? There's no priestly cycles. There's no all of that. But that doesn't automatically then um, free the obligation to, A, know the Word of God, right? to know the Torah, to understand these things, and to still... Uh, prayerfully and in community seek to walk obedient lives to the best of our ability knowing that we are imperfect and that we that that we do have a uh, a broken world and we are waiting for a messiah sure so we're we're not all of a sudden um you know do whatever you want do whatever you feel the holy spirit is is leading you to do even if it's a, a transgression of the commandment well there's there's more going on here as well uh, we know that uh at least in the time of – at least in the first century, we know that uh, people were not necessarily going up three times a year. Uh, this is uh, – this could be an entire show in and of itself. Um, the idea of – you know, Paul didn't go you up know, every Paul year. Paul couldn't have. Yeah. yeah. If Paul was in Corinth for, for 18 months – He missed it. Yeah. So I think it's understood. There, there are other aspects, understanding economic issues, understanding um, – that that the word is to be going out into the world and that God is doing a new thing in Messiah. And I believe that Paul knew that the temple's days were numbered. He still went to Jerusalem. He still said he wanted to be there by Pentecost, you know, when he left Ephesus. Sure. Um, they still observed the un- days of unleavened bread, even in the diaspora. He writes to the Corinthians, tell them to, to keep the feast— but yeah. he's telling them to keep the feast where they are, not not. They're, he's not telling them all to to sell everything they have and abandon their jobs and property so that they can go uh, to Jerusalem. Because why? Because Jerusalem was a mess. Well, you know, it's, uh, I, uh, yeah, okay, but but we're, we're yeah we're, we're getting out of we're getting out of the idea of Torah command now into. But the point is, is that there's. There is multiple things going on with this command, but let's keep going. Let's let's keep going because al- although this is an extremely interesting subject, which we maybe we should touch on this sometime, uh, were people actually going up three times a year to the to the temple? It doesn't seem like Yeshua was. Um, that's but anyway, let's let's keep going. That's not for me to say. Um, if you're staying home from church this week because it's your time of the month, then cool, you're following the Torah. Okay. Once again, this there seems to be a misconception of exactly what Torah commands can be uh, followed today. And actually, interestingly, I got uh, a, a private message on Twitter from someone uh, asking the exact same thing: uh, How do I, you know, uh, if if I'm unclean today because of something I did, then if I touch a chair or something like that, does that become unclean? Does it become clean again at night when I wash? All these kind of things. Because we don't have a temple and because we don't have the ashes of the red heifer, everyone on earth right now is defiled through corpse defilement. Because if I touch a corpse and then I touch my chair and somebody else touches the chair, now they're, uh, they've contracted corpse defilement, right? The only way to get – and so everyone has touched something that someone else – you know, so on and so forth. Basically, everyone is, is in a state of continual – Unclean, uncleanness, ritual impurity. The only way to get rid of that is with the ashes of the red heifer. The only way to do do that is with a temple. Thus, we can't get rid of it. 
It is not a sin to be unclean, ritually unclean. A woman has done nothing wrong when she gives birth to a child and becomes unclean. Uh, a child does nothing wrong when they are born. Is the child un- anyway? And, uh, and, and the term it's not unclean in he, in Hebrew. Tameh. It's just it's a it's a class, It's a category of, of uh, status that that has to be negotiated before you would enter into the, the temple space that is holy. Yeah. Provided that God has a holy space. Uh, carved out in the world at the time. It's been argued that the that every uh, instance of becoming unclean, ha- uh, ritually unclean, has something to do with death. This would make perfect sense, and I I agree with this. The reason why is the reason why this is uh, so important. I think is because it shows that you can't go into communion with God physically. We see that as the temple, right? You can't go into the temple space. To commune with God, if death, which was brought on by sin, has is is affecting you, there's only one way to get rid of that. That's with the uh, with sacrifice, right? And so, uh, the only way to come back into uh, communion with God is through the sacrifice of an innocent life. And this is, you know, and this had to continually happen and continually happen and continually happen. There was bloodshed all the time, all the time, Mishkan and around the temple. I mean, there was, and that's the that's what's the mechanism that's happening between the holy space and the the death space, is that bloodshed, all the time, lamb in the morning, lamb at night, right? And then all everything built on that. Yeah, and um, and, and, then, and then it's all a picture of we have a sacrifice that. Once for all time, it doesn't. You know, he's spotless in in both directions and eternal. So that life, once it's once uh, that life was taken, it covers it all. And that's the. I mean, this is the this is the beautiful picture of the carnage that happened in the temple. Um, and but, the, and uh, the incarnation of of the spirit of the Messiah dwelling in the hearts of God's people yes. is that. His new life, his resurrection life is pure, is holy, is just, is undefilable, and it is a source of pure – it's it's where our life is. That's where life – I'm glad you pointed out death, Gail, because it highlights that holiness and life go together. And that's where we are. If you are a new creation in Yeshua, then you – that's the new life. But we are in – just like the world with the temple – and then the outskirts of the temple that are the you know the perimeter of the city where there's death and defilement so too in our own bodies we have the new faith the new life but and it's by the spirit that's in us paul tells us in romans 8 that we put to death the deeds of the flesh mm. because if we follow the flesh it leads to death so we have the old man and the new man dwelling together in the same way that the temple dwelt in it in a dark world and it's blood it's the 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 death of of innocent life that tra- that allows that transition from outside to the inside of the holiness and that's what jesus does that's that's what yeshua did for us in in condemning sin in the flesh and and being a sin offering um but yeah so i i, I think that i i've i've constantly wondered you know, we know that there were mikvah oh, that's uh, ritual baths. We know that the, that they were outside of Jerusalem as well. So we have communities that were taking ritual baths. Uh, it seems like they were still practicing ritual baths. 
However, I don't think the need to become ritually clean was nearly as stringent or, you know, I don't think people cared nearly as much outside of Jerusalem if you weren't going to be going to the temple anytime soon. Who cares if I become unclean if I'm not going to the temple anytime soon? If I'm going to go once a year and, you know, that's 11 months away, I'm going to go out for Passover or whatever. I'm going to be washed with the ashes of the red heifer at that point anyway. I can practice taking these ritual baths, and that's great, and I will do that. But at the same time, if I touch my wife and she's, you know, and it's her time of the month and she's unclean, it makes no difference because who cares? I'm not going to the temple anyway. What we have in the in the late Second Temple period, though, is like for example, there was no one harassed Paul for walking around Jerusalem with the Gentile. It was when he was accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple space, which was a miss of voice of false accusation, false witnesses anyway. So we don't even know what the story is. We just know that the sure. propaganda was. But it is true that we know that the Pharisees had different kinds of washings that they had instituted in their homes even out in Judea and probably outside of Judea, to try to replicate uh, some sort of temple priestly purity in their own home, where the table was like an altar and a man's the priest of the house and they would have washings and things. But then they would judge other Jews for not living up to their their little rules, their little community rules that they set up. Sure. Um, and that's Yeshua and Paul and the apostles are absolutely anti that the idea that you would set up new rules that are not based on the Torah, or that are clearly not Torah or and clearly divisive, and then judge other people for not abiding by them—that is like that was a big no-no. Um, but yeah, it, it these are all important points that all are tied to that main issue of how do we interpret the Torah and do we just. Like this guy, you know, I'm going to cherry pick things that I know that they're impossible going to do. I know, you know, I know no one's going to be able to go to Jerusalem three times a year. So I'm going to pick that one and throw it in their face. That's the kind of the sense I get. So I apologize to everyone in the uh, chat room right now. I haven't, it hasn't been regenerating for me and I'm just now seeing everyone's comments. So I apologize. Um, I'm not going to try to go back through all of them. I hope everyone's having a good time chatting in the in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, okay. So let's keep going with this clip. Anyway, general point to all that is is that uh, uh, I don't. It's not a sin to be to be unclean. I don't think people outside of the land were uh, as stringent about being unclean, especially with things like menstrual cycles and whatnot. Um, and the idea that today someone would need to stay home from church or whatever or synagogue or whatever it may be because they're on their menstrual cycle is simply not something that is preached by the overwhelming majority of the Messianic or Hebrew Roots movement as it would not apply today. This is the point. If you haven't had sex on Friday night because you're afraid that you'll be unclean on Saturday, fine, cool. That's your personal preference. If you choose to worship on Saturday rather than Sunday, that's up to you. I can't assume to tell you what the Holy Ghost is speaking. I mean, how does a minister of the gospel sit wait, back wait. and Time out. Is he also saying you can't judge me for saying for saying Saturday's wrong and Sunday's the true day to worship? Is that the flip side to this? Yes. If I tell you, Caleb, I can't tell you not to worship on Saturday. I'm not going to presume that. But if the flip side is don't you presume... Likewise, just like I'm modeling for you, you should not presume to tell me 
that the Sabbath is the is the true day of worship. That's that's the sense I get. Again, I've I never think, heard. I think I think you're absolutely right. But here's the thing: I agree with him. I don't care what day you worship on. You should worship every day. Our life well, should be yeah, our I life should be a that. continual uh, a, a, con- a t- continual uh, uh, part of worship. Right? Our entire life should be worship. His- Yes, I agree, but is that his point? That is not his point, and this is where we get a problem. The idea, the idea that uh, you know God doesn't change. The idea that we can change His commands around and it's okay is simply not. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. We don't see Abraham, or well, that's a horrible example because the Torah was given after that. We don't see Moses and Aaron being like, "Hey, God said not to eat pork, but I really like bacon." And uh, you know what I think he meant was, "Don't eat ham." You know, the, the, this slice of ham. No, no, no. We don't see anybody doing that. Right. You can't, you can't yeah. bend his, you don't, you can't. We don't have any precedent for any of this stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the no, idea, well, they, but they will say the first day of the week. Oh, I know. Scripture. That's fine. In first Corinthians and in Revelation. There's like these two verses that they put in the footnote and you go look there and you're like, okay, well, or in Acts. Well, it looks like it was an, you know, it was. It was Havdalah. It was like after an extension of Shabbat, for one. But, Hang on, wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. PJ makes a great. I'm so happy I can finally see the comments in the in the chat room. I'm sorry I was out of it for so long. Uh, PJ makes a great comment. He says Shabbat is not just worship; it is rest, and you can't rest every day. That's the point. And God has, you know, well said. I've said it once, I'll say it again, uh, and I'm sure I'll say it many more times. Uh, uh, Shabbat is the time as money is the tithing. God asks us to give, uh, give, you know, and perhaps a bad analogy. I know tithing actually was produce. It had nothing to do with uh, money. And I know we don't tithe to the offering box at our church or our synagogue today. I get it. But you understand what I'm trying to say. In other words, if you give your money uh, uh, to help support and because you feel like that, you know, this is a command or uh, whatever, whatever you want to say, we give time to God because he's asked us to do it. He's commanded us to do it. We, we give it because we love to give it and we give it because he's taken it. He's taken time. And he, and he knows what's best for us. Exactly. Wait, 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 it's not like he's leaving it up to us to like, well, okay, Caleb, you, 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 you feel what the Holy Spirit's telling you and you, Jim <laughs> over there, you tell what the Holy Spirit's to you and you guys just learn to learn to get along and learn to not, Oppress one another with your individual preferences. In my opinion, if 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 a spirit is telling you to do something that is contrary to the commands of God, it's not the spirit of God. It's not the Holy Spirit. Test every spirit. Exactly. Let's go. There's 17 seconds left with this clip. Speaking. I mean, how does a minister of the gospel sit back and say, "You know what? Don't do that," and then they'll point to a passage in the Bible and say, "Well, I'm just trying to keep the Bible." I never want to fall on the fact that I'm trying to tell you not to do something that's biblical, but yet there's a greater context to all of this. There's a greater context to all of this. And ultimately, he's, you know, I think that we, uh, those of us who have come out of the, the Christian church into a, a uh, Torah-pursuant lifestyle uh, know exactly where he's coming from. The greater context that he, that I assume he will bring up was going to be the gospel, Right. The gospel is the greater context. In other words, we have the gospel now, the gospel, the gospel. That's great. I am fully for giving the gospel and for living out the gospel. But I think that uh, 
that com- the commands of God do, do not uh, negate the gospel, right? Does faith therefore nullify the law? May it never be. It establishes the law. That's Romans 3, baby. Yeah. Okay, so let's keep going. And in Galatians, does therefore the law nullify the promise? No. (laughs) Exactly. The Torah is not against against the promise. Yeah. Um, Let's see here. Is this uh, 93? Oh, this one. Okay. This will probably get stopped a lot, too. Here we go. It's it's the way that we're talking about these things that that troubles me. Because it's not the way the church has done business for so long. Okay, let's stop for just a second. Help me understand that point. Okay, What's he's he's saying? talking about the infighting. Now, first of all, I agree. We need to love our brothers and sisters and uh you know, we try to we we need to try to be respectful of each other. Even when we disagree. And I think that this is the, the lady's uh, point uh, that we talked about at the beginning of the show when she was talking about Nolan. She thinks that we were disrespectful. Once again, I stand by the fact that I don't know what else to – what other label to use when someone sympathizes with Nazis except for a Nazi sympathizer. But the point is is that uh, you know, I continually say and I continually try my hardest to not make ad hominem arguments to attack the person. Instead, I try to attack theology. I fail on that every once in a while. I get it. I, I totally understand. Okay. Um, however, I, I continue to try that. I agree with, but listen to what he says about the church. The church has done business for so long. You know, I don't claim to be a a great scholar. I don't claim to be a great theologian. I, 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 I am interested in revivals. I'm interested in church history. I'm interested in, in, in the scripture. Yeah. All of that. And so, like, I study the church fathers. I don't, I don't see this, this, this venom and this hate that the Hebrew Roots Movement, this disdain for people, the name-calling that we've engaged in happening. And I'll give you a good example of this. Well, wait it's, a, it's something that my friend Pastor Phil referenced to me. When to celebrate the resurrection of Yeshua. Polycarp believed that the Passover slash resurrection should be celebrated on the 14th of Nisan. And he based that on what he actually received from John the Apostle because he was actually a disciple of a disciple. There was a chain of custody. And Antiseus believed that it should be celebrated on a Sunday instead. So what happened? Did they hide behind their keyboards, pumping venom out through the Internet? No. They got together, they hashed it out, and when it became obvious that they wouldn't change each other's mind on the matter, they cordially agreed to disagree. I don't know what history book BDK is uh, is reading, but this is certainly he's certainly looking at a different church than what I the, than what I see in my in my in my, uh, in, my in my history books. Uh, and the reason why is because first of all, the church in general has not only spit venom at each other ever since uh, Yeshua ascended into heaven, uh, but the church has essentially been uh, has done much worse than the Hebrew roots movement. They have slaughtered people, right? Much blood has been shed. Uh, during the reformation, they were putting uh, children to, uh, to, they were burning children at the stake for having uh, uh, copies of, of portions of scripture in English. 
uh, because the church, the Catholic Church, said that that was not allowed, right? Uh, and even as early as Polycarp, the the exact argument that he is talking about, the 14ers versus the, the Sunday worshipers, what did they become? They became the Greek Orthodox were the 14ers, and the Catholic Church were the Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, right? I mean, this specific argument that he is talking about has more bloodshed associated with it. And, than, and serious social yeah. institutional divisions for, that have lasted for centuries. You know, the very different worlds. Uh, the, um, the idea to look to the idea to look at and I I grant that the, that the Hebrew roots movement and the Messianic movement, along with the, with Christianity, has shifted in the social in the social structure of how we debate things now because of the internet. And let's just be honest, because of Facebook, right? Facebook has done some uh, in, incredible things for the way that the church now is dealing with with each other, right? If you have an opinion, you put it on Facebook. Somebody else yells at you through the keyboard. I get it. Venom gets spit at each other, whatnot. You you find an article, you post it. Great, okay. But the yeah, I- but here's the thing: human nature is no different. If we would have, if we yeah. took the internet back to first century Judea, do you think, you know, what what would we have? Well, one thing we'd have is we'd have YouTube videos of Yeshua teaching, probably, <laughs> and then people <laughs> putting all posting all these threads about why he's a heretic or why uh, why you should follow him, you know, back and forth. Who was it? Um, who, who who was the 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 saint? I'm putting for everyone in Radio Land. I'm putting quote marks around saint. Who was the saint who who slapped another guy in the face for being an idiot? Was that Tertullian? I don't remember. <laughs> It might it might have been Saint Valentine. I forget. Anyway, the chat room I'm sure can tell me once uh, once we catch up. We're we're about we're about eight seconds behind right now. But anyway, the point is is that uh, even even among the church fathers, the idea that uh, that there was you know that everybody just loved each other and oh let's pat each other on the back because we're all getting along and oh you disagree with me that's fine let's let's all just let's all just. Hug it out, okay? You go your way and you have your church. I'll go my way and I'll have my church. No, they grabbed swords. They killed each other. I don't. I, to be honest with you, and uh, you know, if I truly doubt that BDK would ever take the time to listen to a puny podcast such as the Robin Caleb Show, why would he? Right. But at the same time, if you ever listen to this, sir, I, I ask please to show me your uh, your history books where the Christian Church has been kind to each other in debate. Uh, He slapped Arius. Oh, wait. It was Nicholas, St. Nicholas. That's right. St. Nicholas slapped Arius. Thank you, chat room. Yay for you. Do I have... Let me me give you a little applause here. Yes, our our chat room is great. Okay, Uh, let's let's keep going. Uh, Here we go. This insane issue is one that we're having in the American church, right? This, this, this isn't, and this is part of the church that I live in, right? This lukewarm American church. And in this lukewarm American church, we minor on the majors. We're fighting for the flat earth. That's what we want to fight about. We don't, we don't want to trust our Bibles anymore because we're afraid the Mandela effect has, has changed it. We're calling each other false prophets and heathens, not because we you know, are, are taking a stand and saying, you know what, Joel Osteen's wrong, or these people in the NRA are wrong, and they're teaching blatant heresies. 
I don't think he meant NRA, by the way. Maybe I'm wrong. National Rifle Association? No, I think he means NAR, uh, Apostolic Revival. Okay. I, th- I think he means NAR. By the I, way, I could be wrong. By the way, the person in the uh, chat room who said uh, it was Nicholas who slapped Arius, uh, he says, I drink and I know things. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. Um, okay. Uh, back to this, though. He says this is a debate in the, in the American church. In the, in, in, we'll get back to that in a second. About the Godhead and about what the kingdom of God actually is. No, we're fighting over stuff like, should you wear tassels on your belts? <clears throat> We're fighting over things like, should you eat pork? We're fighting over things about what day you worship on. And we're making people call into question their honest salvation experience. We're, we're, we're not fighting over the things that the church fought, the mountains that they were willing to die on. But we're fighting over foods, holidays, or, or how strictly we're going to follow the Torah. Do you really think that the persecuted church in China or Iran is having debates about whether they have uh, fringes on their belts right now or if it's okay to meet on a Sunday when they're meeting in a cave or a lot of times they're meeting in cellars? I hear the passion in BDK's uh, voice. However, once again, this is uh, I, 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 I don't know what room he's been in where he's not been listening to, to what's been going on. Some of the biggest arguments that we fight in the Hebrew roots and the Messianic movement today is over issues that people didn't feel like they could bring up in the church, such as the deity, such as the canonization of the scriptures, such as the virgin birth, such as, I mean, you just keep going, salvation by faith alone. Well, and you have a history of people wanting to keep the Shabbat but being told no, wanting to keep the feasts and being told no by the church. So when you have... Uh, this kind of situation, what you're seeing is a, a people are saying, no, you know, I'm not, I'm, I, I really need to go with, with the word of God here, not with what this Christian tradition I was raised was te- telling me. Exactly. And now the way he, this guy's doing it, it makes it sound like it's quibbling off over nothing. And those people should just come back into the church again. He and, does, every, and he, he makes a good point about the persecuted church. I'll give him that. Uh, whether or not, uh, you know, the, the... But I'll tell you one thing about the persecuted church. They have a longing f- to understand the Word of God. And to and to keep the Word of God. To do and it, to, to keep it. Yeah. You know, and, and so... It, it would be tough for me to imagine if in a minister, a uh, uh, missionary situation, someone's given, given a whole Bible for the first time in their life in their native language... And they believe in Yeshua, but they haven't been discipled into any kind of ritual life. Maybe they've maybe they've immersed, maybe they've been baptized, but then the missionary's gone, and now the, all they have is their Bible to read it, and they're going to study it. I, it's hard for me to, that they would come up with Sunday worship. It seems like they would come up naturally. They'd say, "Oh, we want to worship on Shabbat." Well, the, the the other thing that he said at the very beginning of this clip, this is a fight that's the, the, this is this happening in the states, right? This is what he says. Let's listen to it one more time. The issue is one that we're having in the American church. This is absolutely not true. This is simply wrong. That's and the re- a little head in the sand. Yeah, the, and the reason why I can tell you, I can tell you uh, firsthand, I have traveled. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll even take it off the continent. I've traveled to the Philippines myself. Uh, Ariel Berkowitz, who works for Torah Resource, uh, is in China constantly. Oh my uh, yeah, he's China, Europe, Europe, uh, yeah. Israel, yeah, the yeah. Netherlands, 
you know, we have we have listeners. We have a listener over in Hungary. We have listeners in Poland. We have you know we've sent resources to the heart of Africa. Yeah, I got a buddy. I got a buddy in Africa, fully on board keeping Torah, and him and he's got a full on Saturday congregation. This is what they're doing. <clears throat> so, I mean, the idea that this is an American that that you know this is infighting within the and American Russia, church. You know, we know of of messianic uh, teachings that it's are all over the world into Russia. Yeah, there, there's so this this guy might be just a little. <clears throat> He's, he's not listening. Not he's not listening to the other side. He's talking to the other side. He's not listening to the other side, uh, and that's and that's the problem. We got one more clip from uh, from BDK and Justin, and most of what these guys sound a lot alike. Most of what the uh, what we've heard is BDK. This last one might actually be Justin. Justin, uh, here we go. One of the problems, yeah, this is uh, that we see in this Hebrew roots movement is that they want to tell people new converts. They want to tell them they need to go back and start from the beginning. You need to not know about what took place in the early church. You don't need to know about the New Testament right now. You need to go back and start with Genesis. And the problem with that is that they're going to be starting their faith based on the Old Covenant. (laughs) When the faith, according to Scripture, the faith is the New Covenant. Okay, I want to stop right now. We still got... 39 seconds left in this clip. I want to stop real quick. There's so much wrong with this. First of all, yeah. Hebrews 11, that it is a, a lineage of faith, which is a, allegiance to the truth of, of God's plan of salvation all the way back. Abraham, he says, he says, Abraham longed to see my day and saw it was glad. That Isaiah, it says in the Gospel of John, Isaiah saw his suffering, or saw his glory from afar. I mean, we, we, <laughs> yeah, well, the, you know, he's informed by, by, you know, American Christianity. So I, I don't know. I, I don't blame him. He's towing the party line. Okay. He used the word old covenant. The only time that we actually see the, the term old covenant in the apostolic scriptures, that's a new Testament for those who don't know. Um, the only time we see it in the, uh, in the Greek of the apostolic scriptures is in second Corinthians, correct? Second Corinthians three fourteen. Yeah. here. Hang on just a sec. Let me, uh, let me switch this over, uh, because I think this is good for everyone to see. Um, so if you look here, I'm sorry, let me get back to it. Okay. You're going to see two verses here. The second, the, first of all, the, the Hebrews eight thirteen. this word covenant is not actually in the Greek. So this is strike this from the verses that have, Old Covenant. Well, yeah, so New Covenant is here, right? Uh, actually, no, it's not. I'm sorry. New is not in... Uh, I'm sorry. Covenant is not in Hebrews 8.13. I believe that's right. We can look. Hang on just a sec. I'm sorry. Um, I thought you were talking about Corinthians. I am. So Corinthians is the one place in the, oh, apost- okay, the, in the Apostolic Scriptures where you actually have the term Old Covenant. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. Anytime, I mean, just do a, my, my father says this a lot. If you want to do a study on Paul, do a study on every time Paul uses the word old. Every single time, almost every single time that he, he references old, old man, old, you know, old always has to do with people who have not come to Christ. 
who have not been saved by faith. So when he, and in this place too, right? He says, uh, to this very day, the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. The question that I'd have for these gentlemen is what do you mean? What do you think old covenant means? People throw this around, um, but you know, it's like the here's old- the beautiful thing of this of this verse for uh, in response to this person's comment was that if the veil is removed, right? What, what Paul is saying: once the veil is removed, they still are looking at the same scriptures. Yeah, exactly. So if so, if Paul's saying Baruch Hashem for someone whose whose veil the veil has been lifted because they have the light of the Messiah that God has put in their heart and now they're reading genesis 1 and beyond and they're reading it with the heart for god it's a different than a person who is reading it but doesn't have the holy spirit exactly and that's the point it's the same text but this but this it sounds like this person saying old covenant means those books that you're not supposed to read and paul would disagree with that paul's saying no that's what i'm saying paul's quoting it how many times does paul quote the torah to make his arguments and it says and he showed them from the law and the prophets yeshua in the road to emmaus he opened their eyes so they could hear it all about the messiah from the torah and the writings and the psalms um this guy's like it almost like saying oh that's old covenant don't send them there i that is uh to me this is this is a place where the American church has been poorly discipled. Oh, uh, 100%. Poorly discipled. And so he's speaking out of ignorance, not his own, but because he's he's hasn't been properly equipped and discipled in this area. I'm sure there's other awesome beautiful fruits in his life that give glory to God. I I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in this issue it's a status of our lack of discipleship. Absolutely. And thing, you know, I, I would have to also ask this gentleman, and I know this is all old for the people who've listened to this show a lot, but you know, was Moses saved by the new covenant? Was you know, was he was he saved by the blood of Christ? Was Abraham? Was David? If you say that they weren't, then they were saved by what? By works? By works of the law? Why would Christ even need to come then? The point is, is that anyone who has been, who has had faith in the coming Messiah or faith in the Messiah that came and died for the elect is part of the new covenant. And it's been like that for all time. The covenant, the new covenant is not time bound. And we see this in the Torah too. If, if, uh, if you will circumcise your heart, right? Let's keep going with this clip. And we're going to get into this here in a second, but the faith is the new covenant. Because when you come to Jesus Christ, when you come to Yeshua, he's the only way that you can be reconciled with the Godhead. You can't be brought into the Father's presence if you don't come through the cross. There's no other way, period. And so if we basically, if we chip away at Calvary and we chip away at the ultimate sacrifice, the blood of the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world... That is the basis and the foundation of the faith. Okay. Here's the thing, though. That salvation that he's talking about, that looking to the cross, was preached in, in Exodus. The elect that, that believed before Yeshua came and died on earth still looked to the cross. 
They still had faith. They were still part of the new covenant. And you can see that if you read the Exodus story. This is one of the great, this is why I love the Exodus story so much. If, if When your son asks you, right? When your son asks you, what's the meaning of this ceremony that you're doing? What do you need to tell him? It's because of what God did for me when he brought me out of Egypt. How is that possible for me today? How am I supposed to keep that command? Because when my son does ask me, what is the meaning of this that you're doing? What, why are you doing this? I can honestly 100% say because it's of what God did for me when he brought me out of Egypt. I came out of bondage from slavery to sin and I was brought into bondage and slavery to Christ, right? And this is exactly what Paul tells us. Now, of course, these gentlemen go on then to try to go to the Bible to show why they're, you know, why uh, Torah obedience is, is, you know, we should look to grace and the cross and all these kind of things. Um, of course, I mean, no offense to these gentlemen, but honestly, all they're doing is uh, they're not once again listening to the other side. They're using the same old arguments. They're going to the same verses. They're, uh, they don't seem to have uh, any knowledge of, of uh, some of the modern scholarship when it comes to things like the new perspective on Paul or the idea of what uh, uh, dual meaning of circumcision in the first century. Uh, they, you know, and this isn't a, I'm not trying to be mean to them or put them down in any way. I'm just saying uh, it seems like that they haven't, uh, they haven't really taken the time to study perhaps what a lot of even modern scholarship in the Christian world, not just, not just what the Hebrew roots in the Messianic world are saying, but they haven't actually taken the time to sit down and look at what modern scholarship in the Christian world today is saying about some of the first century terms and, and ideas that were going on in the New Testament, the Apostolic Scriptures, and some of the things that Paul might have been speaking about. So I didn't pull any of these clips because I, I feel like our listenership probably already knows a lot about it. And we tend to uh, address these things one at a time throughout our shows. And so if you have questions, if you're listening to us for the first time, or if you uh, agree with BDK and Justin Fall and you think that the Torah has totally been done away with, that's great. You can send us your questions. Send us the scripture that you would like us to address. We'd love to do that one at a time. Anything else you want to talk about before we go? Nope. Nope. Great show. We went a little bit long, but that's that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I hope that everybody's, Hour and a half. I hope everybody's enjoying uh, our you know the 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 Facebook Live uh, platform. I know some people have uh, have had uh, you know a little bit of issue with it. However, I think for the people who are uh, in other countries, uh, you know, uh, we have people all over the world who uh, who have said that it's easier for them to watch on Facebook than it is to actually log into our chat room. Um, and PJ wants to know a, a good question: uh, Did Abraham keep the holidays or the Shabbat? Genesis twenty six five. Let's hang on. That's a great. That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, that that was a question that people had in the, you know, second century BCE. That because the Book of Jubilees goes at pains to show that Noah kept, you know, certain feasts. Abraham kept certain feasts, um, and even in rabbinic tradition, you'll see that they that the idea is that they kept the Torah perfectly in, uh, and so they, and it's, I think it's the passage maybe you're going to, is it Genesis 26? Yeah. So I got it up. It's uh, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Um, 
I mean, I have my own personal belief on this. I think that uh, a significant portion of Torah was already given. Um, oops, wrong screen. Sorry, guys. Was already given to uh, to Abraham um, and, to, and to Adam and Eve. Essentially, uh, we see that that uh, we see that Noah he knew what the clean and unclean animals were, right? So. I would have to assume that some form of kosher laws already were known by the people who, um, you know, the, 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 the people who were on earth. Um, I think that the Exodus was celebrated uh, or the, the fall, even all the festivals. Now, uh, th- what's really difficult about this is were the seasons the same? Because this is before this is before the, the earth split, right? This is the Pangea during the Pangea, right? And Don't so, ask me about uh, <laughs> all that stuff. Man. Uh, so, but I, I guess that my point is: is were the seasons the same? Where you know, it seems to me like we had like there was some knowledge of Torah on Earth. How much was there? I don't know. Um, and whether or not it was given as as uh, given to full, uh, you know, it wasn't given to a nation yet, right? It seems like the, that Sinai was when God gave the commands to a nation. Whereas it seems like individuals knew uh, knew certain parts, it looks like I'm I'm uh, having trouble with my. Oh, there we go. Okay, um, I hope that an- I, I know that's not really a good answer. I'm sorry, I apologize, but uh, that's what I got. Okay, uh, well, until next time, I hope that everybody had a good time. And um, let's see here. Don't forget to give us a call. Send us emails. Call us at uh, our our hotline two five three four six five. 3205. I'll give it to you again. It's 253-465-3205. And of course, send us some emails at chag at torahresource.com. That's chag at torahresource.com. We sure do like getting uh, messages and emails from you guys. It really helps us kind of drive the the direction of the show. And uh, it helps with, I mean, it helps us know how we're doing too and what we need to do differently and all that kind of stuff. We'd like to thank everybody in the chat room. I'm sorry it took me so long to get over there, but uh, once I did, it was so good to see everybody discussing and, and uh, whatnot. And, uh, yeah, uh, not only do we uh, hope that you had fun this time, we hope you come back next week and join us live on Facebook as we talk about more stuff that ultimately we hope does one thing. That is glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>